Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of each heart here, be acceptable in your sight. As we enter the season of waiting, the season called Advent, grace was extended to us in that manger at Bethlehem. And as we wait, and as we wait, and as we wait in so many aspects of our life, we do not wait alone. There is someone with us. His name is Emmanuel. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. I read a book not too long ago by Stephen Ambrose, a great historical novelist. Passed away in 2002. The book I was reading is a book entitled Undaunted Courage. It's a story about Lewis and Clark, the expedition that took place in the early 1800s. After facing massive challenges, the hunger, the fatigue, the desertion, the illness, the Indians, so much more, Lewis and Clark finally reached the headwaters of the Missouri River. They had sent out scouts far earlier, a year earlier, and the scouts had told Lewis and Clark that when they reached that portion of the journey, when they reached the Continental Divide, which was only 100 miles away from where they currently were, the headwaters of the Missouri, the reports were that when they had gotten there to the Continental Divide, they would look over those mountains and they would see the waters of the Columbia River and then they would flow down to the Pacific Ocean and all of this would be done, their expedition would be complete. Or so they thought. Meriwether Lewis was the one who climbed the bluffs near the Continental Divide and expecting to see the Columbia River, imagine his alarm Imagine his surprise when he does not see a river. Rather, he sees mountains, gigantic mountains, the Rocky Mountains. He does not stand there with his mouth open in awe. He stands there with the greatest discouragement he had ever felt in his life. And in the words of his journal, he wrote one word over and over and over again. And the word was trapped. We are trapped. We cannot go forward. There stand the Rocky Mountains. We were not prepared for them, and we cannot go backwards. We are trapped. Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt trapped? Do you ever look at life and say, all I do is wait? All I do is wait. How long to Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is here. It's done. Thank you. How long to Christmas? How long shall I wait? Nine months till the baby comes. How long shall I wait? My wedding is 11 months away. How long shall I wait? My next doctor's appointment is on December 9th. How am I going to wait patiently when the news that the doctor delivers will be either the greatest joy I've felt in a long, long time or the greatest nightmare that I will ever enter in my life. We wait a lot on this earth. And for so many people, as they are waiting, there is a magic word, and that word is trapped. I feel trapped, Pastor. 
I just feel trapped. Why was it that Red Sea rules last fall was probably the most important study we've ever had that engaged more people than we've ever engaged? Why is it that in the last 15 years I have handed out 1,500 of those books, Red Sea Rules, and I just had to order another 400, wondering if that'll keep me until retirement comes. Why? Because people feel trapped all the time, and they see the Red Sea in front of them, and they see the chariots of Pharaoh behind them, and they sit and say, what am I to do? What am I to do? What am I to do? Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen. Every time I look at it, one of my favorite verses, I think of a gentleman who some 20 years ago, if not far longer, I didn't have time to Google it, thank you. He was one of those who was in Iran. He was one of the hostages in Iran. And I think they were there for 144 days before they were rescued. And I shall never forget, I shall never forget them putting a microphone in front of this man's face. And they said, how did you survive? How did you maintain your sanity not knowing from one day to the next whether you're going to be executed, not knowing when, how long it would be until you were rescued if that was going to be the end How did you survive? And the hugest smile broke across my face when he said, I survived because every single day of my captivity, while I was waiting for God to move, I thought of Psalm 27, 13. I am confident of this. I shall behold the goodness of God in the land of the living. Be still, wait upon the Lord. Be strong and of good courage and wait upon the Lord. I never look at that verse without thinking of that interview on television as this man quoted that entire verse. Sometimes we're trapped in the realm of health. We wait for the doctor's report. We get the reports. We have all these dates on the calendar. Here we're going to see this doctor, this oncologist, this person. And when the doctor says to us, here's the next treatment, we put that date on the calendar and wait some more. And if the doctor delivers the most great news, your cancer is nowhere to be seen. It's in remission. We celebrate for about an hour or two, and then the mind starts working When's it going to come back? I know I'm in remission, but when's it going to come back? God gives us these great good days, one after another, after another, after another. And if we're not careful, those great good days become clouded with, when's it going to come back? This bump I feel on my arm, is that the cancer returned? I'm a little bit short of breath these last couple of days. Is that the cancer returned? We wait in the realm of health. We wait in the realm of relationships. They're not always perfect relationships. They have their periods of time. They ebb and flow. Whether it's relationships in a marriage or relationships with our best friend, 
or our relationships with our children, our teenagers, our parents, our boss, our colleagues at work. Relationships. We do a lot of waiting and we do a lot of praying. There's health, there's relationships, there's finances. It's called our jobs. For every person who raises their hand and says, I love my work, love my commute, love what I do, love my boss, love my colleagues, there are probably four times who say, well, I don't like the boss, but the commute's not too bad. I don't mind the commute, but the colleagues that I work with, pretty bad. But pastor, I got to pay the bills. So even though I wake up every morning with a knot in my stomach and usually go to bed with a knot in my stomach, uh, this is what I have to do right now. We wait, people. And the question is this, what do you do when you wait? The hedonist says, uh, while you wait, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of drink yourself into a, a stupor. Let the drugs or the alcohol do the thing. The materialist says, buy your way out of it. If you buy a new car, you feel better. If you take a, a nice vacation there to Hawaii, you feel better. But you find yourself on the beach of Hawaii, sitting there thinking about what's going on back home. What's going to reach you when you get back home? What does a Christian do while they wait? Cutting to the chase. What do they do? I am confident of this in the realm of health. I'm confident of this in the realm of the job I have. I'm confident of this while the relationship with this one that I care about deeply wavers. I am confident of this. I shall behold the goodness of God in the land of the living. I shall be still. I shall wait with strength and courage because of the one who stands with me in the room. And the one with me in the room was well named, not by Mary and Joseph, he was well named, not by the angel. He was well named by God himself. You shall call his name Emmanuel. God, not up in heaven, God down here with you. Abram, Sarai, we bump into them in Genesis chapter 11. Abraham is living in Ur at the time. Ur is supposedly the oldest city in the world. There in Ur, he meets a pretty gal. The Bible specifies how beautiful she is. Her name is Sarai. They get married God shows up after they're married. Now, God made sure they bumped into each other. That's why I had them both in Ur. But after they're married, they move, along with Abraham's dad and family, they move to Haran. And that's when God shows up for the first time in their lives. Genesis chapter 12. God called Abraham and Sarai to go to the land of Canaan. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation of all people. Abraham is 65 years old at that point in the ballgame, and Sarai is 55. And then to complicate the matter, besides their age, the Bible tells us, Genesis 11.30, that Sarai was barren. 
There was something wrong internally, and she could not have children. Can you imagine what Abraham and Sarai said? God said he's going to make a great nation out of us. We can't have any children. Look at how old we are. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited some more. Still no son. Abraham turns 86. Sarai turns 76. They are tired of waiting for God to move. They said, we shall take matters in our own hands. I'm sure they discussed it at length, and I'm sure Abraham said, no, 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 we should wait for God. And Sarai says, too much time has gone by. She sends her servant into the tent of Abraham, and nine months later... Here comes Ishmael. It's 13 years later. It's Genesis 17. Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 89. And she says to Abraham, Every time you put your arms around Ishmael, it crushes my heart. And every time you look with tenderness upon Ishmael's mother, it crushes my heart. I'm going to tell you for the last time to get rid of her and to get rid of Ishmael. And God sends, uh, Abraham sends him into the wilderness without food, without water. But I'm sure, knowing Abraham, with many a prayer lifted up to God, protect those that I send away. And the angel of the Lord came to her and to Ishmael. And the child was protected. It was at that time that God came and said, Enough. Enough. Abraham, you've decided not to wait for me any longer. You've decided to take matters in your own hands. And look at the chaos that you've caused. I shall now come to you, Abraham. I am God Almighty. The Hebrew phrase for God Almighty is El Shaddai. And when God spoke to Abraham as El Shaddai, he said to him three things, which in the Hebrew is what El Shaddai means. He said to Abraham, I am all sufficient. I do not need your help or your wife's help. I am all sufficient. I am able. You don't think I can handle this because you're 99, she's 89, and she's barren. You don't think I can handle it. I am able. I can do that which is impossible. It'll be Isaiah 1,500 years later who says, A virgin, forget someone who's barren. Isaiah says, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. I'm all-sufficient, I'm able, I am all-powerful. I can do this, Abraham. I do not need your help. And at that point, Genesis 17, a covenant is struck with Abraham. Thirteen times in that one chapter, the word covenant is mentioned. Three times it's called an eternal covenant. What does that mean? It means that God won't break his end of the bargain. God will not break his end of the bargain. If he says, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, he will not break his bargain. If he says, I trample your sins under my feet and cast them into the depths of the sea, 
Even if it's adultery and murder, David and Bathsheba, I shall not break my end of the covenant. And even if death comes to one of my children, I will use death as the means whereby they are not separated from me any longer. I shall use death as a means to bring them to heaven. I will never break my end of the covenant. You need proof, Simon Peter. Cursing and denying. You need proof, thief on the cross. You need proof, prodigal son. You need proof, Samson, standing between the pillars there in Dagon's temple. You need proof. You look at any story in the Bible. God's greatest, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's disciples, Jesus' disciple. You look at any story in the Bible, save for one story. Jesus' story. Hebrews 5.8, the only perfect one. You look at any story in the Bible... And God says, I shall not break my covenants. And if you are so steeped in sin, I shall chase you to the last moment that you live on this earth. And if out of your mouth comes the words, Jesus is my Lord, then you are saved. In a covenant, there's two people, right? You get a lawyer, you write up this covenant, it's all there in writing. Here's your end, there is their end. Our covenant with God, I shall not sin. (laughs) Deliver me from evil, I shall not sin. Whoops! Unless you're Martin Luther, I daily sin much and need God's... Whoops! Unless you're the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, 19... The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. What happens when we break the covenant? The covenant was never in writing, people. The covenant was cut in blood. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Every time the Israelites sinned, what did they do? Sacrifice. Lambs, bullocks, pigeons, doves. Sacrifices, the shedding of blood. Why is Jesus in the Bible called the perfect lamb? Because he's going to be the last sacrifice. And Jesus' blood trickling off that cross touches the lives of every one of his children that have ever been born on this earth. There is no sin so great except the sin of unbelief that Jesus' blood cannot cleanse it. Abraham finally came to the point where he trusted God implicitly. You and I, as we wait, I spoke to a lady two days ago. I thought it would be a five-minute conversation. It ended up to be about 35, 40. And she said, Pastor... How long? My daughter and I have been praying over this matter for 11 years. And it broke my heart earlier this week when my daughter said, I have to stop praying because after all this time, if he hasn't heard, 
is he really there? Or has he just quit on us? I promised her that I would start praying more in earnest. promised her a couple of things that I've only done three or four times in my ministry. And I've done those things. And I expect God to act fairly soon because he always has. For two and a half years, I prayed every day, Lord, keep the cancer away from John. Don't let it come back. It comes back. And six months later, he's safe up there in heaven. We are waiting. The season of Advent is a season of waiting. Do you wait alone? No. The one who you pray to, is he all-powerful? Yes. Is he all loving? Yes. Is he all wise? Yes. Do you trust him? Yes. That's why we read the Palm Sunday reading for the first Sunday in Advent. That's why we sang that Advent song talking about hosannas and palms. The one we wait for is the very Son of God. And he's hand in hand with you. Walking, 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 waiting, 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 always whispering to you, I am here. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble. The Lord your God is with you while you wait. On the first Sunday in Advent, in our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise for a moment as we pray? Martin Luther wrote in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wrote that we have a champion who fights for us. And if we did not have a champion who fought for us, we would be torn apart by the one named Satan. But since we have a champion in our side, by our side, with us always, since we have this champion, there is nothing that can defeat us. The Apostle Paul would write, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons nor things present in my life, nor things to come, I am persuaded that neither height nor depth shall ever have the power to separate me in this time of waiting, shall never have the power to separate me from my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if I have you, Lord, while I'm waiting, when the waiting has come to an end, and here is the expectation arrived, I shall trust you still. Jesus said, if it's my Father's will, I shall go to the cross. Not my will, but thine be done. While I wait, I rest in the palm of your hands. In our Savior's name, amen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.